So um, this week I heard uh, the story of uh, Michael Irvin, the uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver known as the Playmaker. And he was one of the youngest of 15 children. And when his mom uh, found out she was expecting him, she was having a moment with God. And she was, she was saying, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking, maybe. <laughs> and God, God spoke to her that through, through this baby that her latter days would be better than her former days. Meaning the days ahead, the new days, the new thing was going to make her life better than it was in the past. Better than the, the old days. And he uh, was born in 66, and when he was, uh, you know, we get civil rights movement comes in in 68, and then when he was in kindergarten, integration was happening. He grew up in the African-American uh, section, as it were, of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and was being bused over to a, a white, predominantly white school um, as a kindergartner. And, you know, the first day he, he recalled how the teacher was asking the kids questions, trying to get a sense of of where they're, they're at knowledge-wise and asking kids to identify all these different colors, asking kids to spell their names, recognize different words. And he talked about just how insecure he felt because he didn't know the answers the way that other kids in the class knew the answers to the questions and, and just how um, inferior that made him feel in that situation. And uh, thankfully for uh, good teachers, like, like we have in this, in this church, like, like Chris and, and others that really do care about their students, uh, they were offering uh, some tutoring, and, and the, the, uh, the guy who was uh, offering tutoring to Michael Irvin, you know, used uh, going outside to play catch uh, with the football as an incentive to get through some of the schoolwork, you know, quick. And they did that, and he started throwing the football to Michael and noticed that Michael could catch anything that was thrown to him. And he just, he just commented on it. It was like, wow, you're, you're really good at catching the ball. And in that state of feeling insecure and inferior, Michael really got a hold of that. And, and it was something that really affected him and caused him to want to, to, to get even better at catching the ball and, and to really enjoy it and that encouragement. And I want to share with you today a psalm that is even more meaningful than that encouragement. Michael went on to be, become a Hall of Famer with the Dallas Cowboys and be able to buy his, his mom a home after his dad passed away and, and with his mom and his aunt be able to just afford them essentially anything that their, their hearts desired. I want to share with us a psalm today that will bring an encouragement. I'm really excited to dig into this with you today. Because I believe it will bring an encouragement to you. An encouragement to you in regards to things that you may be facing that you don't have an answer for. That you don't have the strength for. That you don't, that you're not able to fight for. Because God is a God who fights for us. The same God. We're going to close out our time today with that song, the same God. So I want to turn to Psalm 46 this morning. You'll be familiar with it in some of the older translations probably. I'm going to read from the New Living today. And, and the title of this message is God, Our Security and Strength. God, Our Security and Strength. The Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. 
always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Selah. Interlude. In the Psalms, we get this word selah, which means it's a music break. It's time when we stop singing and the musicians play. It also means it's a time to think about what we just sang. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how He brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields of chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Selah. God, our security and our strength. God, our security, and our strength. There's something here that can help our relationship with God, can help bring a positive change to how we view the world, which will bring about a positive change in our spirits, which will cause us to, with God's strength, bring about a positive change. If you have a look at this on a single sheet in your phone or tablet or on, on your hard copy of the Bible, I think you will notice a couple of things. God is, so we. Let me give you that just in a, in a couple of snapshots. Verse 1, we see God is security and strength. Verse 11, God is here among us. God is here among us. Verse 9, the one who causes war to end. God is here among us. God is security and strength. God is the one who causes war to end. So we, verse 10, will be still and know that he is God. Verse 2, will not fear when troubles come. This psalm is about a time of trouble. And I think the last couple of years, that's certainly what we have seen in different ways. A time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. I want us to unpack for the people who first sang this what it meant to them. Because Psalms for centuries have been used by literally billions of people to express thoughts and emotions to God and their relationship with God through singing and through prayer. The Psalms have also been used to bring shape to the thoughts and feelings that people had in their relationship with God. And this is a, psalm, a song that is certainly written for that reason, 
to express thoughts and emotions and to shape them. But it's also written about specific events in the history of Israel, of people with God. It's written about specific events. And scholars for a long time have pointed to the fact that there's certain phrases in this psalm that point to a specific event. And that is a story that you see in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. And I won't get into all the details. There's a lot to this story. What we have is in Israel, in Jerusalem, King Hezekiah. And we have the prophet Isaiah. And there's a lot that's written about this period of history. And the king of Assyria named Sennacherib was attacking Israel. And he actually had some good reasons. But he was attacking Israel and he brought his army at least 185,000 soldiers, probably over 200,000 soldiers, to bring a siege on Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever been to a Ravens game, but the Ravens stadium can seat 76,000 people. Maybe you've been to an Orioles game, and it can seat a lot, but you probably were there with maybe 10,000 people. Or maybe you've been in a, a smaller, a basketball venue or a concert. You remember the olden days before, right? And you, you sat in a room with 5,000. Imagine what it would be like to look out and see a couple hundred thousand soldiers ready to put an end to you. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, whose capital is Nineveh, was blaspheming God. He was writing letters. He was sending communicators. He was delivering speeches to God's people. And he was saying a lot of stuff. Some of it was true. Some of it was not true. That's what our enemy does. There was mixture in his accusations and in what he was doing. And he brought about some of his soldiers to camp right along the water supply ready to close off one of the water supply lines into the city that actually supplied a pool that one day Jesus would stand next to. And this is Jerusalem. This is a city of God. This is a city that the people built with a thought that it would be focused on God. It would be their capital, their most important place. It would be a place where they would build a temple. It would be a place where there would be an opportunity for God to meet with them in a very real way. This is a holy place a most precious place to them. And Sennacherib from Assyria comes with a couple hundred thousand soldiers to surround the city, to lay siege to the city, and to make accusations against them. And one of them is, what do you think is going to help you? you? You can't win. You cannot win. I've got you. I'm going to have my way with you. What? Are you trusting in? What are you looking for for help? And he said, do you think God can save you? He said to Hezekiah, didn't you offend your God? How is God going to save you? You think other countries are going to come to your aid? I've got you. You've got no hope. He brings accusation. He literally defies God. God cannot and will not protect you. It was a fight. In fact, he even said, I'll even give you 2,000 horses, so even if you could get together 2,000 soldiers to ride them, I'll spot you 2,000 horses in the battle. 
Sennacherib is foul and defiant in what he's saying. The people of God were in a shaky place. Troubles had come. And that's what this psalm is written about. King Hezekiah took a letter that King Sennacherib wrote. He spread it out in the temple before God. He asked God for help. The prophet Isaiah spoke what God was saying. And what God said is, I will fight for you. And God gave specifics about what he was going to do. And how the king was going to die. God didn't say, you go fight for yourself. God said, I am going to fight for you. I'm going to deliver you from this. And what happened? God sent an angel of death. And we get in other scriptures this description where God knew the hearts of this enemy army. He knew this people to be evil, to be focused against him, and he was bringing punishment on their sin even in this military conquest. God had told his people, I will fight for you. He sent an angel out that killed 185,000 soldiers in a night. And they woke up and the army was dead. And the king, Sennacherib, fled. And his sons killed him in the same way that God had predicted through Isaiah. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see where their help was coming from. They couldn't see how the solution would come about. They couldn't see how their circumstances were going to change. But God said, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. That's what God said. So now that we know a little bit of the story of what's going on here, and there's specific phrases that refer to it, I want to read through the psalm again quickly and just give us a little bit more insight. And I want you, with whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is where you can't see the solution, where you don't know how a victory is going to come, I want you to think about the words of this psalm and let it bring shape to your thoughts and emotions. I want you to allow it to bring an encouragement to your faith so that you can believe that God will fight for you, that God has made a way and will make a way. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. That first verse, we so often are, are a very present a very present help in time of need. That means God's help is easy to find. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. These words specifically to them referred to political changes, to armies, to times of crazy things happening and times of trouble. The verse 2 and verse 3, those words and those phrases are not actually talking about the earth. In, in, the, in the Old King James, it says the earth melts. It's saying when God speaks, things change. When God speaks, nations change. Armies melt away. And in fact, these verses are written in the voice of people who are calling out to God for help. In the voice of people who are believing that God can make a way where they don't see a way. And it's saying, bring it on. That's what this psalm is saying. It's literally, the scholars say that this is one of the specific psalms that can be applied to most circumstances. Now listen, 
they were in the city of God. They were holding faith in God. They weren't out in a town of their rebellion living in their sin, right? But when they're in the place of God, focused on God, worshiping on God, believing in God, they're saying, bring it on. Bring it on because my God will speak and this opposition will melt. This thing will change. That's literally what they're saying. Bring it on. Let our faith arise. God will fight for us. That's what it's saying. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. Our security, the one who will provide for us, the one who will protect us. A river brings joy to the city of our God, a sacred home of the Most High. Now this, in the grammar, particularly refers to both their here and now city of Jerusalem and the opposition they were facing from the Assyrians, but it also is language that referred to the one day we will yet see city of our God. After Christ returns, the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us, the city of the living God that's written about throughout the scripture, it's referring to that place that we will one day see. It will not be defeated. There is nothing that we're seeing in this natural world today that can defeat the city of our God. Specifically calling to that place that cannot be defeated. A river brings joy to the city of our God. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. Think about that. Surrounded by 200,000 soldiers. Closing off the water supply, the food supply. This psalm is, is meant to remind the people of God of what happened. That even though they were surrounded by an army and a king who was saying he was going to destroy it, what happened? God delivered them. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. It refers to the morning they woke up and saw those enemy soldiers dead. There is a morning of your deliverance. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. Are you maybe feeling a little bit shaken about war in our world? I'm just old enough to remember what it was like in the past as gas prices soared and everyone seemed concerned about nuclear war. This is not the first time. It's not the first time. The people of God can recognize the nations in chaos and their kingdoms crumble, but they recognize that it is God who has accomplished it. In fact, this verse is set in the past tense grammar to say God has won the victory. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. This is important to them because they're saying we didn't rely on the walls of this city that we built as our defense. We didn't rely on the defense that we built. We didn't rely on our own army. God defended us. God fought for us. That's what those verses mean. Verse 8 is important because it's specifically written 
vague on purpose so that it can be applied to multiple circumstances. This is one of the verses in the Bible that scholars for many, many decades have said are specific. it is not careless to say from this verse, this can be applied to believers for centuries to come because of how it's phrased. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how He brings destruction upon the world, meaning judgment to those who are evil, who are set against Him. There is an enemy of your soul who's bringing lies and deception and twisted narratives and and wanting you to see His army and not see God's army. Wanting you to see a battle that might not actually exist. A battle that you might not need to fight. You have an enemy who's a deceiver. What does he want us to believe? He wants us to believe that there are battles we are supposed to fight when maybe they're not. He wants us to see His force and not see God's force. It's time for His people to open their spiritual eyes and look to the God Where is our help? Our help that is easy to find. God, our refuge. God, our strength. God, who will fight for us. That is the God that we serve. He causes wars to end. Don't you know, God does give people an opportunity to pray, to to, to call on Him to end the war. He gives us an opportunity to do that, and we could and we should pray for an end to the conflict in Ukraine. We could and we should pray for the end of all conflict and the results of them. And I'm so thankful for the generosity of this church as we continue to provide for the wings of of, of refuge in, in Haiti and the bringing care for children and for families that have seen so much destruction. God gives us a chance to be involved. But it's God who does the heavy lifting. It's God who does the heavy lifting. He causes the wars to end. God can bring any war to an end. Have you thought about that? And then watch this. This is the voice of God speaking to the enemies. This is actually not God telling us to chill out. This is God speaking to the enemies. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. This is God speaking to the ones who defied Him who said, you're trusting in God? How foolish is it for you to trust in God? This is God speaking to them. Be still and know. He's saying, shut up. That's what he's, God is saying. Shut your mouth. Caete la boca. No, I am God. I am sovereign. I am over all. The Lord of heaven's armies, they say, is among us. God of Israel is our fortress. That is who God is, our security and our strength. Sometimes the things that we can't, the victories we can't win on our own include things like being forgiven of our sins. God's made a way. Jesus went to the cross, took your sin on Himself. God has made a way. Sometimes we got to slow down enough to be honest that we feel like it's insurmountable for us to be forgiven of our sins. It's not insurmountable. Sometimes we feel like the diagnosis that we have is an insurmountable thing. And we need God to fight for us. You get a diagnosis of something that you can't change. It's not eating different or exercising different that's going to change it. It's God who fights for us. 
It's God who can make a way. It's God who can bring a miracle. Or maybe sometimes it's depression and anxiety that we're dealing with. We've got to bring to the light what we're thinking and feeling. In the recovery process from depression and anxiety, not subject to anybody else's formula, accepting help, seeking help, reaching out, being honest about what we're thinking and feeling, that is included in the journey. Getting help is included in the journey. God's given us the ability to learn And people who have learned can bring us help in depression and anxiety. And also, God can bring us help in depression and anxiety. Both have been helpful for me. And there are some fights that God doesn't want you to fight. He wants to fight for you. He wants to talk to your enemy. There is a way forward. In what area of your life, in what circumstance are you feeling surrounded? Do you hear the voice of the enemy? In what area, in what circumstance of your life do you feel like you cannot win the victory? I want to invite you to open yourself up to God's perspective about that challenge, about that circumstance. And this is not being careless with this scripture. This is what this scripture was designed for. To remind us of a way, a time in which God has won the victory so that we would have faith that God can win the victory for us. That in whatever the area is that is beyond our ability. Remember, the enemy said, I'll spot you 2,000 horses because I don't think you even have enough soldiers to sit on them. And what did God do? He wiped out an army of 200,000. How much more? Whatever it is that you are facing that feels impossible, can God bring a victory? God can bring a victory. So I want to remind us, God is so we. What we see when we look at this psalm, God is our security and strength. God is here among us. God is the one who causes war to end. Wars among nations and wars within ourselves. Spiritual wars. Circumstances. So we can be still and know that He is God. So we will not fear when troubles come. Watch this, the prophet Isaiah who was involved in this, and he had a long ministry. These verses aren't directly related to this story. He was involved in this story, but these verses also reveal to us the heart of God. Watch this now. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Isn't that good? The same God who spoke through the prophet Isaiah is saying this to you. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Our city is strong. We're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. Fix your thoughts on God. Make a decision 
And ask God to open your spiritual eyes to see the help that is readily available. The army of God. The angels of God. Ask God to open your spiritual eyes to see the help that is available. Fixing your thoughts on God. Trusting in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. The same God. The same God who did this for His people is available for you. The same God is available for you. I'm going to close our time by playing that song, The Same God, give you an opportunity to pray, give you an opportunity to reach out to God, give you an opportunity to reach out to someone else and ask them to pray for you. Whatever it is, the struggle that you're facing that is beyond you, where it's just like, God, I don't know. Don't keep that to yourself. The enemy wants you to isolate and keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. Bring it out to the light. Talk to God about it. Talk to somebody else in this church family about it. Reach out for help. You know, somebody who needs this message, share it with them, right? Let's walk this life together. There's strength in our numbers, but the greatest strength is in God. The one true living God. I'm so thankful that you would be here today. Let me pray for you and I'll I'll play the song and you feel free to spend some time in prayer this morning. God, I thank you so very much. You saved us because you love us. You fight for us because you love us. You win the victories that we don't think are possible. You are the same God who delivered the Israelites in Jerusalem from Sennacherib, the accuser. You're the same God who has fought battles in the past. You're the same God who fights for us today. Open our spiritual eyes to see you. Open our spiritual ears to hear you. That we would take faith from you. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, uh-huh.